is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode 144 for Wednesday, February 12th, 2014. You are getting really good at those intros, man. You think so? Yeah, you really, you really hit that last, that last twenty fourteen. Nice. Well, so, this uh, is uh, this is our gross episode. Our what? One forty four. Isn't that a gross? I don't know. <laughs> twelve is twelve. It? Twelve times twelve is one forty four. Yes, and that's yes. what's known colloquially as a gross. No, I didn't know that. You didn't. Oh, that's a big gap in your knowledge, my friend. I guess so. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, in that case, I agree with you. Sure. I will take your word for it. <laughs> yeah, an amount equal to 12 dozen, 144. It's huh. a dozen dozen, so it's gross. It's our gross episode. It's Well, this is going to be gross, I think, if we... So, uh, I said that earlier before we started recording, but uh, you just kind of glossed over it. You didn't hear it or didn't know what I meant or... I guess I didn't hear it because uh, I, I don't know that I've ever heard that term before. Oh. I mean, maybe I have, but I, I didn't know what it, mean, what yeah. it meant. Yeah. Interesting. 12 dozen. 12 dozen. A dozen dozen. That's right. All right, well, what this actually is, is our weekly Wednesday night feedback show. And so, of course, what we're going to do is read your feedback. Now that we've had a few days to digest the last episode of The Walking Dead, think about it a little bit, and gather some more responses from our listeners. But first, what I want to do is talk briefly about the Record Your Favorite Scene contest that we announced on Monday. We already have an entry, and I'm I'm going to play it here. But oh, just, really? Yeah, it's it's going to be fantastic. But I'm just so excited. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, just to remind everyone, what you need to do is record some way on your phone or by calling in or using our uh, send voicemail button on the website. Record your favorite scene from any episode of The Walking Dead TV show. Season one through four, anywhere you want. You can do it with your friends. You can do it alone. Uh, whatever you want. Just get it into us. I think it's going to be really, really fun gather some recordings and this one that I'm going to play right now is the first entry from Michael in Taunton Massachusetts here we go you you and the ponytail is this what you want is this what any of you want look I fought him before and after we took in his old friends they became leaders in what we have here Now you put down your weapons, walk through those gates, you're one of us. We let go of all of it. Nobody dies. Everyone is alive right now. Everyone has made it this far. We've all done the worst kinds of things just to stay alive. But we can still come back. We're not too far gone. We get to come back. I know we all can change. So there you go, Jason. That was fantastic. I don't want to say that, you know, we have a winner, <laughs> but that was really good. That was super entertaining. That was great. <laughs> and and obviously, you know, that's just the first entry. There's hopefully many more to come, uh, but if not... That would be a fine choice because I think Michael did a nice, nice job there. So not only is it the best entry so far, it actually yep. beats out our original example. 
Oh, by by miles. Our yeah. example is like uh, just you know, these two guys on the internet talking. Yeah, where where Michael is clearly a performer of yeah. some caliber. Yeah. Oh, well, that was you really know? good. I really liked that. Me too. I thought that was great. Uh, but that's that's an example of the kind of thing you might hear on this show for the next uh, eight weeks or so, because the deadline to entry uh, to enter is March thirty first, twenty fourteen, at eleven fifty nine p.m. That is the day after, a little a little more than twenty four hours after the season four finale, and then we'll announce the winner on our feedback show that week for April second on April second. So uh, get your recordings in. And uh, thank you, Michael, for being the first person to do that. And the best entry so far. That's right. All right. We're going to do a couple of quick holy craps and then get into listener feedback. All right. Holy crap. Did you see that? So I'm going to read. I'm From here on, I'm going to do, I'm going to add some holy craps to this feedback show because people continue to send them in, you know, after the first 24 hours after the show airs. Right. And of course, people in the UK haven't seen the show yet. This is one of the reasons we do this po- extra podcast because they get to watch it on Monday nights and this gives them a little bit of time to get some emails or some feedback in as well. So this one comes from Barbara on the internet. She says, did you see the worms coming out of the walker's head? Never saw that before. On survival shows, they cook those worms and eat them. I wonder what would happen if they did that on The Walking Dead. That's an interesting idea. Well, first of all, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit because that's nasty. Why? And second of all... Well, eating worms from a dead person's head, yes. Eating, you know, fried worms. There's a whole book about that, and it's not so bad. How do you, how do you eat fried worms? Are you familiar with the book? Um, It sounds familiar, yeah. but I don't know that I've read it. Is it a children's book? It's a children's book. You have Is kids. It, go buy it. Is it by um, Shel Silverstein? Yeah, I'm, it's over my head now. I don't know. <laughs> You're the one who doesn't even have kids. <laughs> well, I remember reading it when I was a kid, How to Eat Fried Worms. It was, uh, yeah, it's a kid's book. Young adult, anyway. Okay. Well, I think that just sounds nasty. Now, you're right. There's a difference between eating worms, I guess, that you just find on the ground, cooking them up and eating them because you're starving, and picking off, like, maggoty-looking little worms from a zombie's head and eating those. Uh, either way, though, it's a bit nasty. It is. Uh, All right, one more here. We've got Paul in the UK. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jason. This is Paul from the UK. Um, Great to be able to call in now. Now they've changed the uh, showing times for The Walking Dead in the UK. It's now on a Monday uh, at 9 o'clock. So hopefully I'll get this in before the feedback show on Wednesday. I really like the episode. I do agree it was quite slowly paced. I don't think it suffered too much from that, and there was quite a, a lot that I enjoyed. Um, I'm just calling in with a holy crap moment, and that was the bit when Michonne walks out of the diner, and uh, the unfortunate walker, wrong place, wrong time, she takes him right out with a katana, and um, from sort of chin height, doesn't just take his head off, takes sort of three-quarter of his head off, which I thought was great. So anyway, thanks for the uh, show, love the work, and I'll uh, I'll speak again. Um, as the season goes on. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Paul. So, Jason, you remember when we were at Atlanta? I mean, at Walker Stalker Con in Atlanta? Yes. We I, attended. I do rem- it was in October, I, I remember. Yes. We attended a panel there about zombie ethics. Oh, that was a great panel. Yeah. A very good one. You got up and asked a question. It was really fun. Yep. Um, Paul referred to, you know, that Walker sort of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
you know, indicating that he, you know, he was killed. Do you think it is actually, you know, and this isn't really a zombie ethics question, but do you think it's actually, uh, you know, a bad thing for zombies to be put out of their misery or a good thing? Are you killing anything when you kill a zombie? No, because, uh, well, according to that ethics panel, uh, the, the, the personhood, the person that was there is not there anymore. It's it's no longer the person. It is just something. It's an abomination that rep, rep, resembles the former person. So you're not actually murdering someone. You yeah. are there because the the zombie is already dead, and you can't re-kill somebody. Right. Well, I guess you can re-kill them, but you're not you're not actually killing anything because it's already dead. That's right. We've established that they are already dead, and therefore they are not a living person. And are not subject to the uh, the rules of personhood, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which would be, you know, breathing, heart beating, yes, you know, stuff like that. Um, so that being the case, you could you could argue that that zombie was kind of in the right place at the right time, not the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> I was just there at that time. <laughs> it was there at that moment. <laughs> That's right. Um, but I think Paul was uh, getting at the fact that she took off three quarters of its head, which was pretty cool. That was cool. Um, and, you know, I you could also argue that this entire episode was like a holy crap moment of Michonne swinging that katana because she did some fine work with it this time. It was uh, some good swinging. Starting with fitting the entire thing into a knife block and finishing with that three-quarter head removal. I want that knife block. <laughs> yeah, really. All right, thanks, you guys. That was just a couple more holy craps. Now let's get into this part of the show. Listener feedback. All right, I'm going to start. Yep. So we got an email here from Angie in Birmingham, regular listener. She says, hi, guys. Wow, what an episode. I've never been the biggest fan of Chandler Riggs, but this episode was definitely his best. Even if Carl was being a class A dick to Rick at the start... Words can't express how happy I am that Gimple is going back to the source material. Loved seeing the scenes from the comic directly translated to the screen, and Carl admitting his fear to an unconscious Rick has to be one of my favorite scenes in the whole series. As is Rick telling Carl he remembers Shane every day. Brilliant performances by them both. So this brings up a question, Jason, that I would like to pose to you and maybe discuss a little bit. Sure. And that is what you think about the show coming closer to the comic. I don't know if we've ever really addressed this uh, question because we've always talked and everyone has always said that the show is kind of influenced by the comic. They'll take little pieces here and there, mash it up and sort of create something new. But it looks like Scott Gimple's approach is to swing it back closer, follow the comic storyline a little bit more and, you know, keep it tighter that way. What do you think about that plan? I, I like the plan, and I like it because uh, I don't think it's going to be a consistent thing. I like the pendulum uh, swinging. It comes close to the comic, and we get a bunch of cool stuff that uh, we saw in the comic that uh, that is, was very good and entertaining, and we'll get to see that live on screen with these characters that we've grown to, to love over the years. And, uh, and then it'll swing away again, and we'll get something completely different, which is also entertaining. So it's, uh, it's that whole variety is the, is the spice of life kind of thing. As long as they don't stay away from the comic and as long as they don't stay with the comic, I'm happy. But see, that's what they've been doing up until now, the way I see it, right? <clears throat> Every now and then you get a you get a little, 
an episode that's sort of closer to the comic, and then you get a few that aren't. I think what's happening now, though, is I think Gimple is, is I think his approach is to follow the comic storyline closer over long periods of time. And I, to be honest, really felt that in the first half of season four. And I know there were many, many differences too, but I feel like the end of season four was extremely predictable, mostly because I have read the comic. Right. And even though it, you know, it does play out a little bit differently, different characters are involved in sort of the similar situations, leading up to that that final episode with the attack on the prison and the tank and the governor being killed, I was like, I knew, I could see all that coming from a mile away. Right. And for me, I feel like that's because it was closer to the comic storyline, and I'm not sure I like that now that now that they've done it. You know what I mean? I do. And uh, I'm, I don't think I'm overly excited about them if uh, Scott Gimple decides to stay with the comic for a very, very long time. I would like to see it swing, swing, swing away again. Yeah. I, I mean... I, I think the way they've been doing it up until now has worked really well for me, even though it kind of took this step closer to the comic for me to realize that. Because there are, I mean, over four years, there have been times, I'm sure, where I've thought, what are they doing here? I wish they would bring in this character, or I wish they would do this storyline. But now that they're kind of doing that, I'm not sure I love it as much as I thought I would. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I seem... I think I like the influence of the comic a little bit more than I like the actual seeing the actual storyline on screen from the comic. So uh, I don't know. We'll have to see how it goes. I think you're right, though. If they do it a little bit for a while and then they swing away and come back, that's probably the best the best scenario. And uh, we'll see how the second half of season four goes. We shall see. Okay. All right. We have uh, an email from Steve uh, in Cambridge, Ontario. You mentioned how this kind of uh, this kind of told the story of Carl being grown up. I think this is more of a story of yes, he's heading in that direction, but his realization that he's not quite there. And I thought the story was very well told. Great episode. Yeah, so good episode. Um, Carl being grown up or growing up. Obviously, you know, one thing I said in the podcast from the other night is that I hope they don't revisit this kind of storyline too much. Right. But I do also, you know, I am aware that characters don't change overnight. It's a long progression for characters to develop from one thing to another. It's a never-ending progression, right? And if it does end, then you're stuck with a boring show because <laughs> right. nothing ever changes or nothing ever happens. So, um, yeah, I, you know, this episode was good for that. But again, it's like the last, uh, the last thing. They got to swing away from this for a while, then come back to it and so on. And we don't want the show to get too samey all the time. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got um <clears throat> we got uh Matthew on Facebook wrote regarding where Carl was leading the zombies. There was a lake or pond behind him and I think he was planning on leading them there and getting them stuck. In in a pond? Well, <clears throat> how you gonna do to, that? You got to go into the pond yourself, which is a great way to get stuck in the pond all by yourself. <laughs> that is a good point. I went back and watched the scene again. I don't see a lake or a pond anywhere near him, so I'm not so sure what Matthew is seeing there. Maybe I he lives s- there. <laughs> yeah, maybe. He's <laughs> like, that's my house. Don't you see my pond There's in the back There's a pond here? right around the corner there. You know, we've seen zombies get stuck in a swamp-ish type area before, right? Back in season two? Yep. When uh, Herschel and 
Otis was were uh, gathering them into the barn. They were stuck in the lake, in the swamp, whatever. So it's not a terrible plan. If you can find a way to get them into the water or into the swamp without getting yourself stuck, too. Right. Um, but I just didn't see the water in the scene. I, I, I don't know where Carl was going. I still don't quite understand his plan there. And all I can think is he was trying to lure them away, then lose them, and hope the zombies get lost and don't find their way back to the house. Maybe he was just being a, uh, a teenage boy and was uh, just, you know, playing tag. You know, come catch me if you can. Maybe he Maybe. didn't have a plan. Maybe he wasn't leading them anywhere. Maybe he was just kind of playing with them. He was just teasing them, taunting them. Well, he was just like, you can't catch me. Try and catch me. And he's running away, and they, they caught him. <laughs> yeah, he, they he, sure, they almost did, that's for sure. Yeah, he's it. <laughs> he's he is it now. now. <laughs> All right. So uh, we have Jennifer on Facebook. You mentioned the folks at the Chocolate Pudding House being hoarders. I read it as some of their stuff being packed in preparation for a move, either to a new house or to flee. Probably to flee. Yeah, probably to to flee. Um, I think Jennifer makes a good point here. Upon reflection, I don't think that having some books stacked on the floor is a sign of hoarding. (laughs) No, it was more than that. There was like lamps and boxes on the stairway, and uh, there was boxes and crap everywhere. Really? Yeah. Go back and look. All right, so there was more stuff around still, though. I've watched Hoarders, and those people have, like, crap filled six feet high in every corner of their house. Okay, I'm not talking about TV-worthy Hoarders here. I'm talking about hoarding tendencies, I suppose, probably hoarding light. So there are degrees of hoarding. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a messy place, and you just have boxes everywhere. Right. And then there's, uh, you know, fill your living room full of dead cats and then pile on newspapers and uh, keep you know, old chicken packages in there, that yeah. that's bad. But uh, yeah. I, anyway, I just, I didn't think that it was necessarily moving. And if there's a zombie apocalypse, I'm not going to pack, pack personal mementos and make sure my books are all stacked so that I can go find a box to, uh, to finish packing them and then put them in the car so I can bring my library with me when I'm trying to escape the, the oncoming zombie hordes. Sure. I, I take your Kindle for crying out loud. Just leave your books behind. <laughs> Load up your Kindle and go. It's a lot lighter. Yeah. <laughs> and you can hit people with it if you need to. That's true. All books you can hit people with too. That's true. Nice big hardcover. That'll that'll do some damage. Yeah. Um anyways, yeah, I uh the whole hoarding thing, I don't know. I I guess there are degrees of hoarding. I don't think it's important or not really whether these people were hoarders, but uh there was stuff around and it was stuff that almost caused caused Carl's demise, so... Right. So hoarding is, watch out well, hoarding is dangerous, yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously. All right, this email comes from Amanda in Sweden. She says, I don't really agree with how you saw Michonne's backstory. I got the feeling that the Mike guy and the other guy had something to do with their son not being there anymore. That would explain why she cut their arms off and used them when, used them when she could have used anyone for pets, she means. I got the feeling that Michonne wanted to fight and try and live, and Mike made the decision to end their son's life in fear of what could happen. Uh, Mm. Jason, go right into the next one here. All right, so we have uh, an email from Matt in Clemington, New Jersey. 
Uh, when Michonne is talking to herself, Mike says, I missed you even when, when I was with you. It wasn't you who did it, and talks about how she survived and how they could have survived too. My prediction is it will turn out Mike committed suicide and killed their baby too to protect him from this world. Right, so I wanted to put those two together because they're sort of touching on the same thing here. Um, and, you know, I think I think everything there, I had I had trouble some a little bit following exactly or or figuring out in my own mind sort of what they were trying to tell us about Michonne. As you said in the last episode, what we can take away from that dream sequence is, you know, the facts are that she had a boyfriend or a husband. They had a kid. They had a nice, you know, life in that in that good condo or house or wherever they were living and uh you know things were were seemingly pretty good after that we learned things that you know there was a camp at some point and we know that Michonne is no longer with her husband slash boyfriend and the kid and those were sort of the things we learned when she was crouched down in Joe and Joe Jr's uh barbecue shack you know her little sort of monologue to herself was a little bit cryptic and, but as uh, Matt here in New Jersey said, um, you know, I missed, she says, I missed you even when I was with you. Um, it wasn't you who did it. So I, I still find it a little bit confusing, but I think what we can get from that is that, yes, her, uh, the father of the kid sort of gave up and either, you know, took off or killed himself with the kid. And, uh, you know, but Michonne wanted to, wanted to try to survive a little bit longer. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I can sort out exactly what's going on there. There's too many unknowns. There's too many references to things that we really have no idea what happened. And it was a, a stress dream, so it's all mixed up with reality, so it could just be nothing as well. But it probably all makes sense once we find out what the full backstory is. Yeah, and I hope we do find that out. I mean, we have we have a lot of characters here, and if they're going to be showing us backstory... You wouldn't, you wouldn't think they'd focus on one for too long, but Michonne's story, to me, feels like an interesting one. And if they're going to give us little bits and pieces like this, why not draw it out and and fill in the blanks a little bit uh, more for us? Now, you know, you could argue that they're just going to show us this and we can fill in the blanks ourselves, right? And like you said, we do know certain things, but... Uh, we, if if you can't assume or, you know, if you don't know for sure what exactly happened to that kid, I think it would be fun to find out. I think it would be fun, too. Yeah. Uh, all righty, moving right along. We've got an email from Gala in Maple, Ontario. So glad Carl didn't shoot Rick. I think Carl realized that losing his mom was hard, but if he lost his dad, too, he would be truly alone in this fearsome new world because I firmly believe Judith is dead. People keep talking about uh, thinking the girls or someone seem to be carrying a diaper bag, but guess what? Diaper bags can carry can actually carry more than just diapers. They're pretty sturdy bags in general. <laughs> <laughs> I have gone through many diaper bags uh, when my kids were younger. They're sturdy bags, but uh, you know I've used a few of them, so I know that. Um, as for Carl not shooting his dad is kind of an interesting scene because he's, he raises the gun on him. He thinks he's a zombie and then he decides, no, I just, I can't do it. I've already had to kill my mother. If I have to kill you too, then I'm all alone. And as I've proven in the last, you know, 40 minutes of this episode, uh, 
I can't really cut it on my own yet. Right. So, um, yeah, there you have it. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, if, and if Judith is dead. She's not dead. She's not dead? No. You've completely swung the other way and she's not dead? Yeah, she's totally not dead. All right. Well, I'm, despite all the evidence that supports that theory, I'm thinking more now that she's dead. You're wrong. Okay. <laughs> Jason has inside information, everybody. I do not have any inside information, but uh, I am capable of changing my mind. Well, that's good. Based on As no I, evidence because, whatsoever. Well, I was original. I was initially fully on board with the she's gone, she's dead. They just needed to get rid of this baby because she's a hindrance to the show. Um, and and then and then we saw Tyrese running away, and I'm like, well, she's probably alive because what else would he be carrying? And uh, now I'm back on the she's dead. That's it. She's gone. That was just a weird coincidence that Tyrese was running away like that. Do you think they'll come back and say, yeah, she died? Or, uh, like, have somebody be an eyewitness to the fact that Judith is dead? Or do you think they're just going to drop it and sh- then Judith will never show up again until they, you know, cut to 18 years in the future and then all of a sudden Judith shows up? <laughs> yeah, the final scene is her. As a badass. from now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lara Croft. They, yeah, that's right. Will they, will they mention it at all? Um, I think they might. When the group kind of com- all comes back together, if someone doesn't have the baby, someone will say, you know, I saw a zombie chowing down on her in the car seat or something like that. You know, just something to make it definitive. Or somebody will show up on uh, the Talking Dead, uh, Talking Dead, sorry, uh, on the TV show and talk about it just like uh, when Lori died. It's like, yeah, they ate her. Oh. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. Um, Nicotero directed that episode, too, and he went on right after to talk about it, and he that's what he said. He was on AMC's Talking Dead this week, uh, and they didn't mention it at all. So Yeah, she's totally I not think, dead. I think they're deliberately leaving it vague right now because people like us get together and talk for 20 minutes on whether or not the baby's alive. All right, baby's dead. So we have an email from uh, Kelly in Hamilton, Ontario. Right around the corner. I was just there like two weeks ago. Uh, You were speculating on the significance of Carl uh, staring at the dead bird on the floor in episode 409. I'm not sure if I'm right, but I thought that the importance of it was that it was specifically a canary, the bird that traditionally was taken into coal coal mines to warn miners of lethal gas leaks. That's a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, I sort of took it as an allusion to the to get out now for Carl, or at least a warning of danger to come. Uh, not long after he's nearly bitten by a bitten in the leg by a zombie, so it was a good general warning, if nothing else. Yeah, so canary in a coal mine. Yeah, uh, a couple of people made this connection where uh, the dead bird, I guess. Um, you know, symbol symbolized the fact that there was danger nearby. Oncoming danger, yeah. Yeah, and Carl needed to leave. Um, whether, you know, Carl clearly didn't make that connection and he kept uh, kept looking around. But I think that's a good read on the whole bird thing. Well, I think omens are difficult to read in real life. <laughs> omens, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, All righty, Mike in Cincinnati. He says, on first glance, the relationship between Rick and Carl seemed to have taken a strange leap backwards this week. 
By the time the governor hit the prison, Rick and Carl had become a walker-killing strike force, depending on each other and focused on their goals. Now, though, it appears that season two Carl, the whiny brat, is back. I have read several frustrated posts online about this seeming character inconsistency, but I have a rebuttal. Carl, for all his wishful thinking, is still an, uh, an emotionally young, hormonally challenged early teen. And to that, the stress of the end of the world, killing your own mother and your group of friends being separated after a devastating invasion, and no wonder the kid reverted. But the two things that would push him over the top, assuming that his sister, for whom he sacrificed his mother, is dead, and knowing that he could have got off, uh, got the shot off on the governor before Rick told him not to. If he had taken that shot, would Herschel still be alive? Would the prison be secure? Would Judith be alive? Who knows? But Carl thinks so. And he blames Rick's poor judgment for the situation they are currently in. And he is tired of Rick second-guessing him. Um, I think that, uh, I think he means Daryl told him not to take the shot, right? Carl had the gun through the fence. Yes. Daryl said, don't do it. Your yeah. dad's got this. Yeah. He should have so, taken the shot. He, he should have. And I think he did once firing started, once they started opening fire. Right. Um, uh, and he winged the governor. The governor got hit in the arm. So he could have taken that shot when everything was peaceful and hit him probably. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, Carl has gone through a lot. <laughs> and, he has. Uh, that's true. And that that has the, the two pronged effect of, ma- of forcing you to grow up really fast, but probably forcing it to happen too fast, and you know, leaving the door open for you to revert back to your old immature ways because you've grown up too fast. And you've been forced to handle all these things, but you don't really know how to do it or how to process them, right? Right. And, uh, you know, I guess, as Mike said, you know, all of these questions are looming in Carl's mind. All of these things he could have done are, you know, and and what would the outcome, how would the outcome have been different? The bottom line is I think Carl's a second guesser. You think he second guesses everything? He may. If he's, if he's, you know, if he's, if he's focusing on all these things he could have done, then he's like, what if I'd taken the shot? What if I had done whatever? Would would Judith be alive? Would whatever, whatever. So, you know, it's it's not uh it's not hard to believe that he's a pretty messed up little dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you are you a second guesser? Do you second guess everything you do? Nope. I am you- not. But my dad is. Oh my god. He is a dweller. He dwells on every decision he makes. Yeah. I'm surprised he makes any decisions at all, frankly. Not I'm me, s- though. I'm the same as you. I don't second guess. I just, you know, first of all, you know, uh, consistency is the refuge of the weak-minded, so I am just can do whatever the hell I want, basically, based on that rule. Yeah. And uh, I really don't second guess things. Things happen, and that's it. Move on. Well, it's it's not often that you have a chance to change change it, so you you might as well accept the decision that you made and move on. Yeah. Um, I think in Carl's case, though, another problem, as Mike said, is that he's been relying on his dad to make these decisions, and he no longer really agrees with his dad's approach to everything. That's tough. That's a tough one to handle. That's a tough pill to swallow. It is, because you didn't really have any input into the progress of, of things or the decisions that were made, yet you think you could have done them better, right, or made right. them better. Right. So, tough. 
Very tough. All right, so we have another one from uh, Troy on the Facey pages. Hey, guys, I have a burr in my shoe that I'd like to bring up about The Walking Dead. It seems to me that when people turn into walkers, their bodies begin to decay awfully fast. Uh, Denai mentioned on Talking Dead TV show that two walkers she chose as pet, this pets this time around were two of the governor's men. Those two walkers were just as decayed as any other walker in the area. There is no way that after a few hours they had decayed that fast. The same with Herschel's head. I understand that in these shows we have to allow some leniency. After all, it is fiction. But to this extreme, it just pulls me out of the show when I see stuff like this. Even Merle in season three had decayed super fast. So uh, the only explanation I can have for this is that the initial decay or the initial effect that this virus has on you when you turn into a zombie is extremely fast and extreme. Right. After that, it slows down and you decay slower. That's why people turn into zombies and they immediately look all messed up. Right. But a zombie can wander around for six months and still kind of look the same or have, you know, a, a, a minor addition to their decay level. <laughs> right. Um, well, do you remember Shane when uh, when he turned into a zombie? He almost immediately had like big stupid ridges on his on his uh, forehead. Right. Well, so and it's the same with um, it's the same with everybody like Merle is a good example. You know, Merle was a perfectly healthy living human being. He got killed and right away he was a disgusting, fully decayed zombie. Maybe the decay is there because everybody has the virus right now. Sorry, spoiler alert. I don't think that's a spoiler. No, that's not a spoiler. (laughs) (laughs) I, I can't spoil this show, I guess. Uh, so everybody has the uh, has the virus, and maybe they're all decaying already, and their bodies, uh, their you know their current living bodies are just barely keeping up with the decay that's going on right now. And as soon as they die, their bodies just kind of go oh, and then just decay super fast. <laughs> so it's all just right under the surface. Yeah, and then they die, and it just pops right out. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like hanging out with someone that you're uh, you're very attracted to, and you're holding in a fart. And it's just, it's just a lot of pressure. Just keep building and building and building. But you hold it in and you hold it together. But as soon as you get to, you know, to be by yourself, it just, you just let it go. <laughs> Perfect analogy, my friend. <laughs> Perfect analogy. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I don't know where <laughs> you go from That's there. all I have to say about that. <laughs> I, I, I think just take a step back and be like, when you die, the initial decay happens really fast, yep. and then it slows down from there on. Right. Because <laughs> you got to build up the pressure for the next part. Uh, and it takes some time. Yeah, I guess so. All right, one more email. <clears throat> and this, uh, this comes from, I think we're going to protect the names of the innocent on this one. <laughs> or maybe the guilty, I don't know. Uh, so this comes from somebody on the internet. And this somebody writes, I swear to all that is holy that I think of that scene every damn day because my wife and 14-year-old daughter do not know how to turn off lights. Or worse yet, they refuse to turn off the lights just to piss me off. Then I have to walk around and turn all the lights off 81 times a damn day. Notice I said 81 times a day. Why are any lights on in the day? Damn it. (laughs) That's true. So this person is referring to the scene that we 
butchered last episode to introduce our contest uh, where Shane is talking about women leaving the lights on. Right. I did a really good job. Just saying. Oh, you you did a fine job. Me, yeah. I just kind of yelled into the microphone pretending I was an idiot sitting in a car eating yeah. fries and I, talking I, I, to my friend. I wasn't listening when you were talking. I was looking at my next line. <laughs> really, eh? Making sure you <laughs> making sure you were going to nail it? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Rehearsing in my head. My wife is the same way. She turns on lights all the time and I have to go around and turning them off, but I'm not a true I can't attribute that to uh, gender. I only attribute that to uh, my wife as an individual. Uh, usually when I, if I work from home and I drive her to uh, the GO train so that she can go downtown to work in downtown Toronto, usually when I get home, I have to go around the house and turn off all the lights because like they're all on for some reason. <laughs> I guess some people just don't think about that when they're, yeah. walk, when they're walking around. Yeah, so uh, unknown person in unknown location, not unknown, but unnamed person yep. uh, to protect the innocent. Uh, yeah, I, I feel your pain. <laughs> 81 times a day. <laughs> um, all right, Jason, short and sweet. Not hmm. as much feedback as we had uh, this week. I think maybe people are just getting back into the swing of things. So, um, Well, Valentine's Day is coming up, so a lot of people are probably, you know, hard-pressed, hardcore, full-bore going into figuring out what they're going to do for Valentine's Day. That must be it. They must be out shopping for roses and boxes of chocolates and whatever else you get people on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, but next week, I'm sure there will be more. Our next podcast is going to be on Monday, which is family day here in Ontario. It is. It's a statutory holiday, so we have the day off, which you think would mean we could record the podcast earlier in the day, but please don't count on that. No, that's not going to work. That won't work for me, and it probably won't work for you. I'm not even going to uh, be here. I'm going to Ottawa this weekend. You're going to be back in, in time for the the Monday night, though, right? Yeah, yeah, we're coming back Monday. Okay, good. Uh, all right, so that's our next podcast. That will be about Season 4, Episode 10, the name of which I do not have in front of me right now. Uh, but in the meantime, you can give us a call if you want to contact us or respond to anything you heard here tonight on the show by calling the Zombline at one 9662 You can also go to our website and click on the Send Voicemail button. Nobody's done that yet. Um, but I highly recommend somebody does. Do it I now. tried it. I tried it, and it works. So hopefully it works for you folks out there. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. You can also send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Get those entries in for the Record Your Favorite Scene contest. Not that you don't have a lot of time. You've got about seven and a half weeks or so to do that. But we want to get more. We want to hear them. We think it's going to be really fun. Thank you to uh, Michael for sending in the first one and it being so great. So uh, if you want to do that, get those in to us. We'll play them on the show. If you really don't want it to be played on the show, let me know and I'll respect your wishes. That's nice we don't want you. We don't want anyone to be absolutely embarrassed. Right. Right? I mean... But, well, we, yeah. We sort of do, but but if you don't feel the same Not that way, badly, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and uh, this podcast is brought to you by Amazon, so please go to amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com before you do all your shopping at, at the site, and uh, that is a quick and easy, quick and dirty way to support us. Not dirty, quick and easy. <laughs> <laughs> quick and dirty. Yeah. Could be. Um, Depends on what so, you buy, but we'll never know what you buy, so it doesn't matter. That's right. That is right. 
So um, until next time, everyone, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 